Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, philosophical conundrums, the examination of so-called epistemological certainties, and a whole lot more. All in an effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. This is an hour where there is no sanctuary from interrogation or retreat from honest skepticism or bias that rejects what might just be possible. Each week we undertake anew our search and discovery of the human potential. Sometimes we uncover aspects about ourselves and exhibit errors, for we always remain open to the possibility that we just might be wrong. With the necessary courage to uncover our own limitations, we truly expand our awareness, and in this way, at least we hope, become more enlightened. Now, as for uncovering our limitations, our first show was all about programming that we've all been subjected to, both that which is incidental to our enculturation and that more sinister, deliberate use that literally billions and billions of dollars have been spent on in researching just so that big business and big government uh, have the tools to pull our strings in heretofore unimaginable ways. Okay, then, let's think about the name of this show, Provocative Enlightenment. Provocative is defined as, quote, tending to provoke, excite, or stimulate, end quote. And that seems to be what we are doing according to much of our mail. Last week, we played a pre-recorded program with Jay-Z Knight while I was off in New York City talking to people about mind programming. According to your letters, many of you found it truly provocative, and you will want to listen to the rest of our interview when it airs on November 24th. Two weeks ago, just prior to the Jay-Z Knight show, Lorna Byrne, author of Angels in My Hair, was our guest. She generated a lot of email, and we were unable to take all of your calls. She'll be back in January to take some more questions, so be sure to watch our schedule. Some of you wrote and said glorious things. For example, Judy wrote, Thank you for today's show on Hay House Radio. I feel that I've been given a true blessed gift. I appreciate it with all my heart. MJ wrote, love the show on Hay House. Thank you for bringing more light into this world. And from Karachi, Pakistan, Sabakawar wrote, I am really impressed with the way Dr. Eldon Taylor is expressing his views in his shows through his guest speakers. Thank you all for your feedback, but not everything was praise. Another email put it this way. If Mr. Taylor wants to be credible and gain rational, intelligent people as listeners for his radio show, he's going to have to do better than a woman who speaks to and for angels. I enjoyed his first show, but this one turned me right off. And Peter from the UK wrote, I listened to your radio show on Hay House and was a bit disappointed in your guest this week, Jay-Z. I just found her difficult to comprehend and really didn't think she was a worthy enough guest. She devalues your credibility. Well, it seems the talk of angels and channeling has disturbed some listeners. Why would that be? You know, I sometimes wear more than one hat. I spent many years conducting lie detection tests and supervising investigations. Under this hat, 
I want the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, as Joe Friday from Dragnet Television Series used to say. And as I used to say, 100% of the truth, not 99%. For how would you like your spouse to be 99% faithful? Truth. What is truth? Is there truth to angels or to channeling? Perhaps some would say something like, angels are just so much superstitious nonsense and channeling is just a personality schism. One of the hats I wear is as a scientist. The evidence is somewhat different uh, where science is concerned than as an investigator headed to court. In, In science, we insist on verifiability. Angels can be difficult to verify, and I've not known them to cooperate by uh, testifying before an audience of independent investigators. As for Jay-Z Knight, well, she has been studied, and respectable scientists, at least some, have stated that she's absolutely no fraud. Still, as science progresses, we learn, and one thing science knows well is that so-called laws and axioms of science have changed in the past, and are likely to change again. Indeed, the current paradigm is being challenged in weeks to come as we visit with some of the leading scientists and writers of our era that are scheduled, uh, people like Rupert Sheldrake, who will join us in December, or Amit Goswami, who will be with us in November, actually next week, uh, or Lynn McTaggart, author of The Field and the Intention Experiment, who will join us in January. They will all share with us just how close this new paradigm shift actually is. Another hat I wear is that of chaplain. In this role, the question of an afterlife has been settled. I had to work all three of these roles out and find comfort, consonance, not dissonance, in order to integrate the intellectual with the emotional and the spiritual. With that said, I still seek more knowledge, more insight, a higher level of understanding, and this show is devoted to that inquiry. I hope you find the exercise worthwhile, intellectually invigorating, emotionally challenging, and otherwise the kind of thing that every week will start your mind down a new path, considering new possibilities. Uh... For those who refuse to consider those possibilities, well, those that would say perhaps there's no such thing as angels, um, all I have to say is provocative might be more aptly said as intellectually insulting for you. But then that might just be the words of a closed mind. In weeks to come, all things willing, we may well have personalities like Glenn Beck, whose office we're speaking to now, and Governor Huckabee on the show to share their more conservative views. That may incite certain others that have no objection to angels. Indeed, I would willingly give a hearing to Richard Docking, and if we can land him, we will, author of The God Delusion, and for many, the father of modern atheism, For I truly believe that knowing, and I'll put that word in quotation marks, knowing is not about refusing to hear the other side. For how could one claim to know thyself, let alone be true to oneself, if what they know is fearful of what might be? All right. Now you have the scoop. Our show, Provocative Enlightenment, seeks to do just that, provoke, 
incite, agitate, and otherwise wake the emotional and intellectual giant in all of us so that we can truly, not ignorantly, nor as sheep following along in the flock, become enlightened. We welcome your thoughts and ideas. You can opine by leaving your comments on my website, eldentaylor.com. Now to today's show. Do mortals walk around talking with God? Is that small voice within really the big voice of God? What do we mean by God? What is God's message to us? Are we really hearing our angels, the messengers of God, speak to us, or is it really God? Could it just be our conscience, our guilt-laden inner voice, or the trickster of Carl Jung? I know what I think. We want your input and your questions to join us. You can do that by phoning 866-254-1579. And international callers can dial the country code. Then 760-918-4300. Or you can enter our chat room. We have installed a special chat room at eldentaylor.com, and we invite you to join us during our live broadcast by logging in. Just go to eldentaylor.com slash, that's a forward slash, chat, C-H-A-T. There from anywhere in the world, you can enter your comments and questions. My partner, Ravinder, is here in the studio with me. Say hello to everyone out there, Ravinder. Hi, everyone out there, Ravinder. I love your line. You don't usually mess it up, but you did this time. <laughs> Want to try it again? Said hello, everyone out there, Ravinder. <laughs> oh, cute. She monitors the chat room, watching it live during the broadcast. She will greet you and see that your questions and comments get on the air. Each week, we try to bring you interesting subjects that ask big questions. I believe the questions themselves are often more important than our answers. And each week, we work to bring you the visionaries, authors, researchers, and the like to discuss their take on these matters. This week is no exception. Our guest today became an overnight sensation when his first book, Conversations with God, was released. In his newest book, author Neil Donald Walsh discusses what to do when it might seem that nothing matters anymore. A dear one has died, or a romantic relationship has ended, or a job that was once going to be your career has just evaporated. Or perhaps your child has left home, or you've moved to a new town, or you're suddenly facing a health crisis, a financial crisis, or a crisis of faith. Whatever the circumstances, you are sure about one thing. Nothing will ever be the same. The book, When Everything Changes, Change Everything, speaks to the heart of every person who has lost their bearings due to a loss. It offers God-inspired insights on the way to move on and a breathtaking reason to do so. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Neil Donald Walsh. Thank you, Eldon. It's nice to be here. Let's begin by telling us all about the mysterious manner by which you receive the information you share in your books. Can you do that for us, please? Well, I would begin by saying there's nothing mysterious about it. Everyone is experiencing conversations with God all the time. We're simply calling it something else because we have been programmed, if you please. We have been... Um, convinced by our society that, uh, and not just recently, but through the ages, that uh, a conversation with God directly is not possible. In fact, if people walk around saying, I, I talked to God today, they'll be considered either insane, out of their mind, at, at, at least deluded, and maybe even be called a blasphemer or a heretic. 
uh, and one who has committed apostasy. In some in some cultures, in fact, such a statement, I'm, I'm talking directly with God, could result in your own death, as it is seen as an ecclesiastical sin of the highest proportion in certain cultures on this planet even today. So in the face of such a an aversion to the idea that we could talk directly to God, we call our conversations with God something else, women's intuition, uh, a moment of insight, uh, a sudden uh, brilliant idea, um, an inspiration, dumb luck, whatever whatever words we can get away with to describe the process by which uh, information seems to come to us from no place in particular, or every place, if you please, out of the blue, if you will. Uh, and we do, in fact, have a brilliant idea or an extraordinary insight that never occurred to us before. So we call it by different names because our society requires and demands that we do. I think that, uh, that the, the wonderful comedian... Uh, Lily Tomlin put it beautifully. She she said, "When I when I say to people that um, I talk to God every day, they say that I'm devout. When I say that God talks to me every day, they say that I'm crazy." So that pretty much sums up where we stand with regard to uh, the idea that God talks to us. I should point out, however, that. The human race uh, generally does not have a problem, any problem, with the idea that God talks to human beings. I mean directly. In fact, we've based several religions on just such a notion. We imagine that God spoke directly to Moses, for instance. We've, we proclaim that God spoke directly to Jesus and, in fact, embodied himself in Jesus. We proclaim in some circles that God spoke directly through the prophet Muhammad. And other religions, likewise, are based on our idea that God has spoken directly to human beings, Baha'u'llah in the Baha'i faith, Joseph Smith in the Mormon religion, and many, many other religions as well. Almost all religions, in fact, are based on the teachings and the messages of a so-called prophet or messenger who claims to have heard directly from God. And millions of people, not just a few, but millions upon millions of people belong to those religions. So apparently, vast members of the human race have no difficulty with the idea that God is talking directly to human beings. The only difficulty we have is God's not doing it today. God's done it in the past, perhaps, maybe way, way, way back there, perhaps, but not in this day and time. So it is as if it is as if we have concluded that God has suddenly developed a case of celestial laryngitis, refusing to talk to human beings past a certain mark and line in the sand, past a certain date line, somewhere way back there, when God simply stopped talking anymore to human beings. So the issue is not, does God talk to human beings? As I said, we've already concluded that he does. The issue is, when did he stop doing it? And all that conversations with God says is, never. God has never stopped talking to human beings and does so right up to this very minute. That's the only difference between the experience that I uh, have had and the experience that others claim I could not possibly have had, even though Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, Baha'u'llah, Joseph Smith, and a score of other people have already had that same experience and have been proclaimed to have had that experience. It is, however, dangerous to make such an announcement while you're still alive. We're having a couple of technical difficulties today. Forgive me just a little bit there. Uh, let's, let's take a call. Uh, Jen in Ontario, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Welcome to well, uh, Provocative Enlightenment. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, certainly right on with where I'm at in my life. I do believe that God speaks to me in many different ways. Um, 
and I have been on this journey for the last couple of years where um, a very uh, I was in a relationship and, and that uh, broke up and um, it really sent me on a, on a journey which has taken me um, well I, I became an angel therapy practitioner this this year um, and um, I seem to be really on a roll since I you know, when I came back, but then the last couple of months, it seems to, um, I've been struggling, um, you know, kind of waiting for things to come into my life, and I'm wondering if you can give me any direction on that. So, Jen, what is your question? Um, how do you know when you are on the right path, when you're in this struggle stage? Neil Donald Walsh, how do you know? There's no, there's no such thing as the right path. The, the, the first thing I want to say when I hear your question, with respect, is that you pose it in such a way that you create the illusion that there is a quote-unquote right path that you should be able to find out whether you're on or not on. <clears throat> Who would decide what is the right path? See, the, the question holds beneath it an underlying assumption. Someone is deciding what is the right path for you and what is not the right path for you. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, uh, and the assumption is that someone else knows the right path. It's just you who don't know. <laughs> so you have to make sure you overturn enough rocks, look behind enough trees, read enough books, go to enough seminars, meditate enough hours, pray long enough, or do whatever you think you need to do to somehow uncover what someone else has written. I said in the movie The Secret, there is no blackboard in the sky on which it is written, Neil, a handsome man who lived in the latter part of the 20th and the first part of the 21st century, whose mission is colon. And all I have to do is find that blackboard. I've got to find that slate upon which God has written my mission. But there is no such. Well, actually, as I said in the movie, there is a slate. And what it says, Neil a handsome guy who lived in the last part of the 20th and the first part of the 21st century, whose mission is colon, and God gave me the chalk. So what I would say to you is, you need to, in my view, this is my opinion, stop searching for the so-called right path, take the chalk in your hand, and write on the blackboard of your life what you proclaim to be the right path for you. Now, when I say that to people, they say, but how do I know it is the right path? Or how will I know if it's the best thing for me? The answer is you won't. If you're looking for a guarantee in life, ain't going to be there. Life is not about guarantees. Life is about setting your intention, setting sail, setting course for what you believe to be, deeply in your heart believe to be what is right and true for you, and then setting out on the journey. And the journey itself will determine for you, will demonstrate to you and show you whether, in fact, it is the so-called right journey for you or not. But even then, I have a quarrel with the word right, because, in fact, I see all things as perfect, even those things that don't turn out well for us. I write in the book, When Everything Changes, Change Everything, an extraordinary notion. Consider the possibility that everything that is occurring is occurring perfectly. Consider the possibility that all life developments are part of the process of evolution and that evolution can only move in one direction, that is, forward. That is, nothing evolves backward. Everything moves forward to greater.
greater and greater levels of magnificence and complexity. If that is true, and it is, then we can assume that all things that change in, your, in our lives, whether it's a loss of a relationship, loss of a job, different life path, different choice that we make, just changing our hairstyle or changing our manner of dress, all changes that occur in our life are produced through us, by us, as an inner announcement that something is not functioning, something is not working the way we thought it was going to work, the way we now choose it to work, and we're making an alteration and a change. Even those changes that occur which do not seem to be the best for us in the moment are often revealed months and days or years later to be one of the best things that ever happened to us. I've stood in front of audiences uh, from the United States to Germany to Japan all over the world in the past six months, and I've asked people, how many of you have had an experience in your life which you thought was absolutely disastrous in the moment, only to conclude a few days, weeks, months, or perhaps a year or two later that it was one of the best things that ever happened to you? Ninety percent of the hands go up. I have therefore concluded that masters are those who know this in the present moment and simply don't have to wait a year and a half to figure it out. Okay, yes, that that makes a lot of sense. And I have just recently started just saying, okay, I'm just going to write the workshops that I want to teach, and I'm going to write them out and and just just move forward with it. Um, and I, I think that my inner self will know if I'm doing the right thing. There's no such thing as the right thing. There's well, only what yeah. works and what does not work, not to quarrel with you. But, yes, you will know whether it's working or not. Right. You will know whether it brings you joy and pleasure or not, whether it brings you, most important, a grand sense of the fulfillment of who you really are and of the mission that you gave yourself when you came to physicality. You'll know all of that for sure. And if it's not, or if it's halfway there, or not quite all of it, but part of it, these things will be made known to you, and you'll simply make an adjustment. And you'll make that adjustment in an appropriate way, and then you'll be on your way in yet another direction, and it's all perfect. But we don't need life to turn out in a particularly predictable or consistent manner for it to be successful. True. Okay. Thank you very much for your call, Jen. Thank you very much. I have a question, Neil. You uh, you sound like somebody that would uh, that would profess a kind of cultural relativity. What's your take on virtue? Is there such a thing? You got about one minute before we go to break. Can you treat that one? Uh, there is no such thing as virtue uh, in the absolute sense, nor is there such a thing as truth in the absolute sense. Both truth and virtue, are in the, as well as beauty, for that matter, are in the eyes of the beholder. And we can expand on that after the break, but I would say to you, if you can think about this through the break, what is absolutely true? I'll give you an example. Is it um, non-virtuous to kill a person? Is it absolutely true that killing a person is not okay? Think about that, and we'll come back after the break and talk about it. <laughs> well, of course, you know, I've already given that a good deal of thought. Indeed, that's what my new book is about. But when we come back from the break, we will take that one on. You're listening to Neil Donald Walsh. We're talking about his new book, When Everything Changes, Change Everything. Be sure you uh, visit his website, uh, www.neildonaldwalsh.com. Or you can go to eldentaylor.com and click on the link, so it'll take you out and and to all of the various uh, places that uh, Mr. Walsh has connections on the Internet. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. Uh, join us in the next half hour for some more Provocative Enlightenment. Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse? 
only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you, I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised. It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Eldon Taylor, and it's my pleasure to host this special investigation. I love your comments and feedback, so please join me on Facebook or send your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com. We'll try to share some of your letters every week because your feedback does influence our programming, and we're grateful for that guidance. So I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, and enjoy. We are all very aware of the power of belief, but are you aware that many times it is your inner beliefs that cause you to sabotage your own dreams and goals? Success is so much more likely when your inner beliefs are in line with your outer goals. And now, using Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk technology, you can do just this. InnerTalk is a patented subliminal technology and is the only such technology to be researched by numerous independent universities and institutions, including Stanford, and been demonstrated effective at priming your self-talk. There are hundreds of titles to choose from, ranging from weight loss to esteem, organized and efficient to prosperity and abundance, attracting the right love relationship to winning sports performance, accelerated learning to accelerated healing. Eldon Taylor's patented InnerTalk technology is your key to success. Check it out today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. Now, if you just joined us, I'm Eldon Taylor, and my guest today is Neil Donald Walsh. We're discussing his newest book, When Everything Changes, Change Everything. And just before we went to the break, I gave you uh, a Earl uh, to check out uh, his website and his work, and there's an abbreviated form of that. You were giving that to me at the uh, during the intermission. What Give that to our audience, if you would, Neil. Yes, well, I've created a shortcut or a backdoor address to my website because a lot of people have a difficult time spelling my name. Both my first name and my last name are are spelled in an unusual way. And as you know, the website, is the Internet, is unforgiving. So I've just created a backdoor address. It's NDW, with, for Neil Donald Walsh, of course, NDWHome.com. NDWHome.com gets you right to my homepage. Okay, great. Now, we were just about to take on a real philosophical conundrum, and that has to do with uh, the Platonic or Aristotelian ideas of virtue. Is it wrong to kill a person? So let's assume you're raised. I'm going to come right back at you because you asked me that question. Let's assume that you're raised in uh, Pakistan uh, under uh, Sharia, the law of Sharia. And uh, your daughter 
disgraces you through some act, kissing a boy in public. And so you bring her out and you stone her to death. And in your view, that is part of the big plan? Or is that morally something that I should step up to the plate and try to stop? Well, that's, those are two different questions. You're asking two no, different See, to let, me, let, they're let, not. Let, 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 well, let me, let, me, let me tell you how, how you're posing the question. First, okay. is it morally uh, correct to whom, to, to, the per, to the perpetrator of the act or to you as the observer? Obviously, there are two different people here involved in your question. Nobody. Well, but, conversations with God make something very clear. Conversations with God says something rather controversial on su- subjects like this. Here's the statement. Nobody does anything inappropriate, given their model of the world. I'll repeat it. Nobody does anything inappropriate, given their model of the world. Therefore, if we disagree with what something with what someone is doing... Our job is to alter or seek to alter, invite them to change their model of the world, which is a simple way of saying change your belief system. You cannot blame, not re, you could, no, no one could honestly, realistically blame any person who's been raised from the age of three to believe something, uh, and you can't blame them for believing it. It's the only information they have. They have no okay, other so, information. So let's disposal. walk you down another scenario, and I'm going I'm yeah, to you from the law enforcement I knew, I knew you'd want to switch scenarios because this argument has been lost. It's very clear that no one who has no belief system except what they've been told since they were three has no way of knowing that any other form of right or wrong. So but that's I'll, not the I'll question. Hold it. That's not the question. The question is, is there a virtue that is independent of a cultural relativity? That's the question. No. So, no, who, who I'll walk decide? you down a different path. Who, who Let's would, assume who? I'm walking through the park, and I see two teenage kids, and they're attacking an older person. Sure. All right. Now, uh, from where I come, my background, law enforcement, it's incumbent upon me to do something about that, not just walk on. Of course. All right. Uh, in your view, then, is w- w- these two boys are doing whatever they're doing, and, and they're doing it uh, free of any uh, culture or, or any moral uh, impingement. That, that's, that's not an assumption I'm willing to make. They may know very well that what they're doing is, quote-unquote, wrong in their own belief system and be doing it anyway. I'm not willing to make the assumption that they're doing it without any moral impingement. A lot of people understand perfectly well what their belief system tells them is right and wrong and behave in a wrong way anyway. So I'm, I'm not willing to accept the assumption built into your observation. But, okay, but so the question, then, I just want to make sure I'm understanding you. So what you're saying is, if you're violating that which you were raised to believe, yeah. then you may be doing something that is, in quotation marks, wrong. By your but if measure, you're not violate. Go ahead. Yeah, by by your measure, that would be true. And if you're not violating something that you've been told since you were three, how could it be wrong since you know nothing else? You know, I guess the whole matter to me comes down to, and, and we'll go to a call here in just a second. But the whole matter comes down to me. Um, do we live in a world where values are culturally relative or do we live in a world where there is something that we could hold on to that we could say is a genuine value and that we should all work toward seeing as universal? let, Let me reduce this to its simplest terms. Obviously, if a value is held by the majority of people, 
that is one more than half, in any community or the world at large. We have a standard then by which we can measure what is right and wrong. That is the will of the majority. However, if there, if, if there is no will of the majority, or if the, if the minority report is so large, if so scattered, for instance, is there a God? Is that an absolute? Yeah, but, but I find that dissonant, you know, it dissonant in this sense. Look, um, you can go to a state like California, and in the state of California, we have a, a practice that philosophers look at and see is a good deal relative. For example... Uh, if you were to commit a murder and the and the person you killed was a woman and she was pregnant, you're guilty of a double homicide. You will be tried as though you have killed two independent people. And yet California is one of the states in which you can get late-term abortion pretty easily. Now, that's a totally dissonant view. There's no consonant in that whatsoever. <laughs> you're looking now, there for, are some that would say... Oh, Eldon, I love you. You're looking for consistency among the human race, which is creating its rules as it goes along, based on its... <laughs> based on in relative terms you're looking for some kind of absolute now if god by the way there's not even an absolute decision on the human race i mean in the human race whether there is a god but let's just presume for the sake of this discussion that there is a god you're looking for god to come down and hover himself over the state of california and say you californians have got it all messed up here is how it looks here is how it works just get this listen to me very clearly of course there are many people of many religions who say that god has done just exactly that. They wave Bibles, or they wave the Koran, or they wave the Bhagavad Gita, or they wave some book or another, and they say, this is how it is, absolutely. Unfortunately, however, we have killed millions of people waving such books. Christians killed people for 200 years waving a book during the Crusades. The Muslims did the same thing for hundreds of years in their in their uh, in their own quest to create the nation of Islam. But the secular so humanists like Adolf here. Hitler have very, done the same thing. It's, so it's, it's not we, just all the inhumanity that's been perpetrated against mankind by mankind is well documented, but it's not just the religious zealot that is committing that inhumanity. Of course Let's not. do this. Let's not, take a the, call. The, the, we have uh, Marie in New York. Well, Marie, you're well, on the air. Well, Marie, before you start talking, Marie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the last word in here because I'm an expert at getting in the last <laughs> word. I'm a debater from college days. Here's the last word on this subject. There is no absolute right and wrong. Who would declare it, and how would the declaration be made? How would that you declaration be made? You know, I'm going to disagree made? with you and say we, if, we will never have a world of peace if what we do is decide that everything is just relative to whatever the background, we're going to have to at some point come to a position where we say at least there is a beginning principle, like all life is sacred. Well, of course, you know, I agree we're going to have to say you, you're, beginning you're, 101, Eldon, all life is me. sacred in order to spread out peace throughout the world. Of course. OK, Eldon, now, now that is a principle, though, yes, but Eldon, and that is an overarching principle Eldon, of the kind that Aristotle would yes, say Eldon, is a metaphysical me. my, principle. My friend Eldon, now you are agreeing with me. You are saying we are going to have to come to a place when we all agree on that. Well, then you are right where I was. One more than half. You're absolutely right. When one more than half, that is when the majority of people on the earth come to a conclusion about that, 
And that's exactly the process that I talked about a minute ago. Then the human race, in majority vote, will have decided by majority vote what is, in fact, its underlying guiding principle. For instance, that so all life is sacred. So it's incumbent on all of us, just taking your words to heart, incumbent on each and every one of us to teach that all life is sacred. I couldn't agree with you more. But that Wonderful. Make it Let's get Marie. That, you got the last word now. But, but, Let's get Marie. Poor Marie. You're on the air. Marie <laughs> from New York. Yes. Good afternoon. And thank you for taking my call. Uh, Michael Donald Walsh, or is it Walsh? Actually, my name is Neil Donald Walsh, but thank you. Neil Donald Walsh. Yes, I have read your books, and um, it has changed my life, and it is great, great, great enlightenment. A lot of things you talk about in your book are some of the things that I already knew and I experienced, and I really thank you for putting that out there. Okay, my question is for today about money and my business. I've been doing, I have a business and I've had it for nine years. It's a real estate business. And uh, for two years now, I've been challenged financially, and um, even my business license is challenged by the state. And um, I love this business. It's my passion. It's my joy. I cannot see myself doing anything else but this. Um, I've thought about other things. I've done other things in between, like I co-own a restaurant as well. That also is challenged, although it's still viable. I just want to find out what is it that I am doing that is I'm causing this opposition right now, and how can I continue to, what can I do to bring things back to the normal flow? What, what is your, are you at liberty to tell me what your occupation, what this thing is, this business is? It's a real estate business, and I have two children. I'm a single mother, and that's how I support them. Okay. Well, I, I don't have any specific advice for you with regard to how to how to make your real estate business you know become more productive or or for that matter. No, not about production. What is it? I mean, the challenges. Why am I having these challenges right at this moment? Hmm. You know what? Unless I, we had a, lo- a lot longer to talk, I'm not sure that I can get into specifics of why. But ge- ge- generally speaking, uh, there may be something that you are uh, holding in your mind uh, of a negative nature that is causing you to imagine that this is not going to succeed in the long run. Uh, whatever those complications you're having with licensing and so forth, uh, something so, there is some kind of obviously opposing energy that's coming in here that is causing you to confront yourself with these complications. I'd have to have a, a talk with you about that at, at some greater length in order to give you some really you know important and powerful advice it's way too general how can i do that uh, you 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 can do that by getting onto my website and contacting okay. me there okay i will definitely do that but thank you so much for thank you very, you very much well. for calling marie uh let's let's take another call here jen from uh, winter park florida you're on the air with neil donald walsh hello hello jen how are you guys doing today? We're doing wonderful. Have you got a question for us? I do. Um, I have had a, um, a a severe issue with emotional eating pretty much my whole entire life, and um, I have tried everything to kind of overcome it, to get rid of it, and um, it just does not want to seem to go away. And um, I was looking for either some advice or some enlightenment to why I might have this pattern and why this is the one area of my life, it just doesn't seem to want to fade away. What is the pattern, Jen? Tell me the pattern in two sentences. Um, in two sentences, I just I get really anxious, and I 
feel almost compulsed to eat, and then I can't turn it off. What do you become anxious about? Anything at all? Just life in general? I feel almost sometimes like I have like an eight-year-old little kid in my head, um, and I feel very scared and anxious, and all of a sudden I get compulsed, and then I just can't stop. Uh, you know, Jenna, uh, I'm going to give you a, a very quick answer here uh, that's going to be difficult to, for you to embrace, I believe, unless you're really open to these uh, these thoughts and ideas. But here, here is my idea about this. When my life was falling apart and not working for me, I asked God basically the same question that you asked God. I didn't have an eating situation, but I had other situations just as important and just as uh, damaging to me. And I said to God, why, why isn't my life working? What's going on? And God gave me a very direct answer. Neil, God said. The problem is you think your life is about you, and your life has nothing to do with you. Your life has to do with everyone whose life you touch. Now, if I had you in one of my workshops and one of my retreats, Jen, here's what I would say to you. I would sit you down in front of me, and I'd say, Jen, I want you to begin giving classes to people with eating disorders, people who have compulsive eating problems, and for that matter, people who are having difficulty with recurring anxiety in their life. And I want you to give them classes on how to rid themselves of the anxiety that produces this compulsion and rid themselves of the compulsion itself. You would say to me, Neil, I don't know how to do that. How can I give a class on that? I can't even do it in my own life. And I would say, Jen, I promise you, I promise you, you'll read up on it, you'll find out how to do it, and as soon as you start teaching classes, you will learn, you will realize how much you already know on this subject. We teach what we have to learn. And so it's, it's kind of like along the lines of a hair of the dog that bit you. And so every Tuesday night from 7.30 until 9 o'clock at night in your home, beginning on, uh, in January after the holidays, you're going to begin giving a class on how to overcome anxiety and eating disorder compulsion. And I promise you by March, you will have stopped your own compulsion by teaching others how to stop theirs. Now, there's an unusual answer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I was trying to be before I do, though. Um, I already kind of work in this situation, but this is the one area I don't help people with. Um, because I felt like I can't overcome it myself. How can I help other people to overcome it? Uh, that's just the, See, that's just the reverse of the thinking that I'm going to encourage you to embrace. If I could only help other people overcome that which I have overcome, I would never speak to anyone about anything, because I've not reached a level of mastery at anything in my life. So we're all here to help each other and to help ourselves by helping each other. So, in fact, I look at just those areas where I'm not able to overcome that which is not functioning well in my life, and those are the areas in which I teach most earnestly and most urgently, not the other way around. If I wait until I think I'm ready to teach someone else something after I've mastered it, I'll never teach another thing for the rest of my life. Mastery is not required in order to teach something. It's just the opposite. We teach what we have to learn. Start the class, Jen, and watch how well the process works. Makes sense. Thanks for your call, Jen. All right. Thank well, you. You have a wonderful day now. We have a question out of the chat room, and I love that. We teach what we want to learn. I think I first heard that from Gerald Jampolsky some 30 years ago. Uh, the question is this. I have a real problem. This is from the chat room, Neil. I have a real problem with the majority dictating what is right or wrong. Surely we all have to look within ourselves to find our own truth. And if God dwells within, surely here is where we can find truth. Do you have a comment and answer to that question? I certainly do. I said nothing about our own individual truth. This person may have a problem with the majority deciding what's right and wrong, but that's exactly what's happening. 
on the earth, everywhere, at your own dinner table. <laughs> you can't even get past the, you can't even get past the weekend. Who wants to go to a movie? Who wants to go to the ball game? And the decision will be made. And you may have a uh, you may have a disagreement with the decision. Oh darn it! I really wanted to go to the ball game, but they all chose to go to the movies. But that's just how it works right here until we do design a different system. However, that has nothing to do with your own inner truth. If your own inner truth is other than what the majority holds as its idea of what is right and wrong, then you need, of course, to move with your own dictates and, and honor your own truth. That's even the government recognizes that. You can actually avoid joining the army because you're a conscientious objector. Even the government understands that your own truth must trump the majority's idea of what's right and wrong. Interesting answer. <laughs> you know, I, your book is a is a challenging book. I like your book. I, I, I recommend your book, When Everything Changes, Change Everything. Um, so let, let's make that clear. But you, um, you, you talk about nine changes that can change everything. Sketch those out for us quickly, if you will. Well, of course, the, the first of the changes is to change your decision to go it alone, which is something that most of us do when we are confronted with uh, unwelcome, unexpected change in our lives. We t- tend to turn within, and we, and we become usually often become very quiet, even uh, withdraw from our own spouses and our own family. So without getting too deeply into each of these uh, with a lot of narrative, I would simply say that we should try not to go it alone and realize that there are a lot of people who are out there to help us. I want to say very quickly around that, that one of the things that we have been taught in our lives by our adults is don't impose your troubles on others. So someone will say to you, how are you doing? So, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine, thanks. And we don't want to tell anyone how, how bad things are with us because we don't want to impose on other people. And yet, here's the point that I make in the book. When other people, good friends of yours, come to you and you say, how are you doing? And they say, well, honestly, you want the truth? Pretty bad. First thing you do is say, oh, wow, what can I do? Anything I can do? And they tell you, well, if there's this, that, and the other thing going on. And you are there for them, completely there for them. And they say to you often, gee, thank you. I really appreciate that. This has been a good talk for me. I appreciate your, your, your being there for me. And we walk away from those encounters and we say, oh, it feels good. That just feels good that I was able to contribute in a positive way to my friend's life. What makes you think other people wouldn't feel exactly the same way about you? Therefore, change your decision to go it alone. Number two. Okay. Yeah, please continue. Yeah, number two. Yeah, please do. <laughs> but sure. I'm going to ask you to move them fast because I'm holding calls off, and, and these people want to talk to you, Neil. Sure. Change your choice of emotions, which means you don't have to have the emotion that you think that you're required to have or that's being foisted upon you. More about that is said in the book. Number three, change your choice of thoughts. You can think a new thought about anything by simply instructing your mind to do so. Your thought is usually based on your truth. Therefore, number four, change your choice of truths. And the book instructs you on how you can do that as well with some rather astonishing insights around that. Number five, change your idea about change itself. Why is this change happening? That's the central question, and there's a good way to look at that. Number six, change your ideas about, about why change occurs in our life in, in general, and change your idea about future change. How can change is inevitable? Is there any way that you can impact future change? Number eight, change your idea about life itself. And number nine, change your identity. That is, who do you think you are, and why are you here, and what is your purpose in being on the earth? All of those wonderful questions are explored deeply in this book, and thank you for bringing it up. 
Yeah, Cicely from the chat room says she has a question. When we're presented with negative circumstances, negative thoughts, what are we supposed to do? Them? Da, 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 da. And then she comes right back and types, oh, <laughs> I guess he just answered it. Change your choice of thoughts. I have his book on hold, the new book. So he's looking at it. Listen, Peggy, let's uh, take Peggy uh, as our last call from Jupiter, Florida. You're on the air, Peggy. Hi there. I'm going to be... Really brief, and I just wanted to offer a piece of supportive um, information for the last caller. I myself healed from the addiction of emotional eating and uh, had that most of my adult life and even my childhood. And there is a teacher who is at heart a spiritual teacher and teaches a spiritual practice to healing uh, this addiction. May I give her name? Uh... <laughs> she has a website. Uh, it probably, go ahead, go ahead. It's Janine with a G, G-E-N-E-E-N, Roth, R-O-T-H, Janine Roth. And she has a website. She teaches workshops and she leads right. retreats. And All right. Uh, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll send you a bill for that, Peggy. I'm just kidding. But thank you very much for your call. Well, it's um, really changed my life in many, many ways, and it becomes more about just the eating. It's all the things that are underneath that, and it's um, it's quite transformative work, so I highly recommend it. Great. Thank you again for your call. All right, in 30 seconds, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, you've got so many books and so much material out there. Uh, what would you like to convey in the last 30 seconds to our audience? I think we've got God all wrong, and I think we have ourselves all wrong in terms of our relationship to God and to life. I think that we need to reestablish a new cultural story for ourselves, and I think it's possible to do that by opening our minds to some revolutionary ideas about God, about life, and about who we really are. That's pretty succinct and also very, very powerful. We appreciate you very much joining us today. I apologize to you and our listening audience for that first half hour. We had some... uh, real technical difficulties, and I was kind of in the dark, couldn't hear anything of what was going on, but my lovely producer, wonderful producer, I don't know if he's lovely or not, but my wonderful producer kept feeding me cues, so uh, I hope uh, that first half went off without uh, too much hitch. Uh, Ravinder, as the person on the street, what do you do with the day? You have 15 seconds. What does it mean to each and every one of us, today's message? You know, I think we need to have Neil back on the show because I think this was really a provocative conversation that needs to go into a great deal more depth. I I would, you know, I've got a whole bunch of questions that I would like to ask of him. All right, cool. Maybe we'll just do that. Well, we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative and Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest today for joining us and thank all of you. My guest next week is quantum activist Dr. Amit Goswami, and we'll be talking about the very notion of existence and reality. Be sure and join us. Until then, to thine own 